0: Hi friends, Pastor Doug Batchelor. You know, I thought it was important to give you occasional updates on what's happening in the news as prophecy and elements of prophecy continue to be fulfilled. I saw something that was in a release and the headline, and this is from America the Jesuit Review, May 25, 2020 says, Pope Francis, I share the impatience to bring about Christian unity. In the Crux Magazine, similar report, Search for Christian unity is making progress, the Pope says. A couple of excerpts from this headline, Rome, marking the 25th anniversary of St. John Paul II's encyclical on Christian unity. By the way, John Paul II is called a saint because Pope Francis canonized him, made him a saint. Pope Francis says he shares the healthy impatience of those who think more should be done. But he also insisted that Christians must be grateful the progress has been made for Christian unity. Notice the wording of what he says next. Many steps have been taken in these decades to heal the wounds of centuries and millennia. Now, I want you to especially notice that phrase, healing the wound. You know, you can read in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3. I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded and its deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And then you go down to verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs that he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lives." So, three times in chapter 13 of Revelation, it mentions this wound. In this press release that I just cited, Pope Francis shares, "...many steps have been taken in these decades to heal the wounds of centuries and millennia. Pope Francis said in a letter to Cardinal Kirk Koch, president of the Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity. They've got a whole council that is dedicated to promoting Christian unity. So why is this all so important? Because if you're Protestant, you understand who this beast power is. Virtually all of the great reformers pointed to Rome as the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. I need to say just right here, there are going to be millions of Catholics I expect to see in heaven. I'm not talking about people. I'm just telling you, this is history. This is what America was founded on. Puritans, all of the Puritans were Protestants. Many of them were fleeing the persecution that was taking place in Europe. They all believed that the Antichrist power was what we call the papacy or the Roman Catholic Church. Just a few quotes. John Wycliffe, first one to translate, really, the English Bible. We suppose that Antichrist, the head of all these evil men, is the Pope of Rome, speaking of his position that he held. John Huss said, The Pope is the true Antichrist, of whom it is written, that he sits in the temple of God among the people where Christ is worshiped. Let's turn to Martin Luther. He says, The vicar is in the place of the absent chief. What is such a vicar but Antichrist? I know and am certain that the papacy is the kingdom of Babylon. That can't be misunderstood. John Calvin, Daniel and Paul had predicted that Antichrist would sit in the temple of God. We affirm him to be the Pope. Some persons think us too severe and censorious when we call the Roman pontiff the Antichrist. Thomas Kramer, great uh, Protestant reformer, whereof it followeth Rome to be the seat of Antichrist and the Pope to be the very Antichrist himself, speaking of the position of the Pope. You can look at the works of John Knox, Yea, we doubt not to prove the kingdom of the Pope to be the kingdom and power of Antichrist. And look at Roger Williams, one of the great founders of the American political system, separation of church and state, Baptist pastor. He said, The Pope is the pretended vicar of Christ on earth, who sits as God over the temple of God, exalting himself not only above all that is called God, but over the souls and the consciences of all of his vassals, yea, over the Spirit of Christ, over the Holy Spirit, yea, and God himself, speaking against the God of heaven, thinking to change times and laws. But he is the son of perdition. Pretty strong language. John Wesley, founder of the Methodists, said, Speaking of the papacy, He is, in an emphatical sense, the man of sin, and he increases all manner of sin above measure. He, it is, that exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, claiming the highest power and the highest honor, claiming the prerogatives which belong to God alone. And in the Westminster Confession, all of the great divines of the Reformation wrote, when they put together their principal foundational doctrines, there is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome be in any sense the head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and the son of perdition that exalts himself in the church against Christ and against all that is called God. Now, I read these things to your friends, because I'm wondering, are there any Protestants left in America that understand what the distinction is between Protestantism and Catholicism? In the book, Great Cloud of Witnesses, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Kramer in the 17th century, Bunyan, wrote, uh, of course, Pilgrim's Progress, the translators of the King James Bible, the men who published the Westminster and Baptist Confessions of Faith, Sir Isaac Newton, Wesley, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and more recently, Spurgeon, Bishop J. C. Ryrie, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, these men, among countless others, all saw the office of the papacy, notice the office, not an individual, as Antichrist. And that's in the book, All Roads Lead to Rome. The reason I'm saying all of this is because prophecy says, and all of the reformers once believed, that this beast power would rule and be a persecuting power for 1260 years. That's 42 prophetic months, a time, a times, and half a time from 538, when the Bishop of Rome first gained his, uh, his power with an army, to 1798. And it says, remember, he would receive a wound with a sword. So there's two ways that this uh, wound was inflicted. One was through the Bible being printed and mass distributed, the preaching of the Protestants. And then when Berthier, the general of Napoleon in 1798, he made his entrance into Rome, he abolished the papal government, He established a secular one in its place. So the Church of Rome received a deadly wound. It lost its uninterrupted political and religious power over the world, or the Western civilization you might say. But prophecy said that deadly wound would be healed. So notice the very language that the pope uses in this press release this week. Many steps have been taken in these decades to heal the wounds of centuries and millennia. This is the very language that they're using. In the encyclical by Saint John Paul II, it says that he reaffirmed the Catholic Church's irrevocable commitment to working and praying for Christian unity. He highlighted how Christians of all denominations already are united in the experience of martyrdom. He called for efforts to promote a healing of historic memories, a mutual forgiveness, He asked other Christians to join in a dialogue on the ministry of the Bishop of Rome, the Pope in the United Christianity, join the Pope in the United Christianity, and he insisted that dialogue is not a negotiation but sharing of the gifts of God that he's given his community. He encouraged all Christians to ask the Holy Spirit to guide our steps and enable everyone to hear the call to the work for the cause of ecumenism with renewed vigor. And he prayed, may the Spirit inspire new prophetic gestures and strengthen fraternal charity among all of Christ's disciples so the world may believe. In other words, quoting from John 17, that we all might be one. Well, this is what we knew was going to happen. In the end, there's going to be a call for unity. Two groups. One group is going to worship the beast in his image. They'll ultimately receive the mark of the beast. There will be another group of genuine Protestants that will protest against these changes that were made to true Christianity and the Bible, and um, you scarcely hear a voice on this anymore. Well, this week in the news, you see another step in this direction. Remember, there has been no pope like this Jesuit pope who has worked harder and faster to build bridges between former Protestant powers. You have him joining together in 2015 with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and then. Big move was made in 2016 to join together with the Lutheran leaders to ask forgiveness of Rome. Boy, Martin Luther would roll over in his grave. And then again, Protestant pastors, evangelicals, Pentecostals, uh, everybody has gone to Rome to try to help build this unity. And now on the heels of this global pandemic, people are noticing how the environment conditions have improved in the water and the air with the animals. And they're saying, maybe we need to instead of shutting down everything for months, shut down once every week. And the Pope has summoned all the world leaders to come to Rome for a global compact to educate everybody about how to save the world and the environment. Originally, that was scheduled for May, 2020, and now it's been moved to October 11th through the 18th, and it's been lengthened. And so friends, we just thought it was very important to give you a little update on some of the things that are happening right now. And I'd like to close with a passage from the book Great Controversy, and this is from page 563. Romanism is now regarded by Protestants with far greater favor than in former years. In those countries where Catholicism is not in the ascendancy, places like North America, the Papists are taking a conciliatory course in order to gain influence, and there's an increasing indifference concerning the doctrines that separate the Reformed Churches From the papal hierarchy. The opinion is gaining ground that, after all, we don't differ so widely upon vital points as has been supposed, and that a little concession on our part will bring us into better understanding with Rome. The time was when Protestants placed a high value on the liberty of conscience that has been so dearly purchased. They taught their children to arbor popery and held that seeking harmony with Rome would be disloyalty to God but how widely different are the sentiments now expressed. The Pacific tone of Rome in the United States does not imply a change of heart. She's tolerant where she is helpless, says Bishop O'Connor. Religious liberty is merely endured until the opposite can be carried into effect without peril to the Catholic world. The Constitution of the United States guarantees liberty of conscience. Nothing is dearer or more fundamental Pope Pius IX, in his encyclical letter of August 15, 1854, said, The absurd and erroneous doctrines or ravings in defense of liberty of conscience are a most pestilent error, a pest of all others most to be dreaded in a state. The same Pope, in his encyclical letter dated December 8, 1864, he anathemized those who assert the liberty of conscience and religious worship Also, all such as maintain the church may not employ force. I want to just emphasize in closing, I give these prophecy updates not because anyone's going to be saved by knowing what the Pope is doing. Uh, The purpose of prophecy is meant to be redemptive. Uh, We're not saved by knowing the prophecies. The devil probably knows it better than any human. We're saved by a relationship with Christ. And so we hope as you see what's happening in the world that if there's any changes you need to make in your heart, you'll make those changes. You'll surrender, you'll turn away from sin so that you can come to Christ and then don't just say, glad I'm saved. After you come to Christ, we need to then go for Christ. Well, friends, this was just meant to be a brief prophecy update. To better understand why it was that Protestants protested, we've got a great documentary that illustrates this in much more detail, very interesting. It's called The Bride, the Beast, and Babylon. If you'd like more information about that, then go to the website that you see on your screen.